0: Welcome to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast. I'm Rick Samprin. Pfizer's antiviral pill to combat COVID-19 has been approved by Health Canada. We chat with a local doctor. Roman Baber, an independent MPP, has been calling for changes to tackling the pandemic. Uh, what impact has the COVID pandemic had on Hamilton's financial picture? We have a new feature focused on business called the Peak Daily on GMH. The Ontario government plans to open the online gaming market in the province. But is it a gamble? And there's been one product that has had a record low sales count during the pandemic,
1: condoms.
0: The GMH podcast starts now.
1: This is the Good Morning Hamilton podcast on 900 CHML.
0: A local epidemiologist says if uh, the recent COVID-19 modeling numbers hold true, the current COVID-19 wave should peak within the next week. That epidemiologist is Dr. Dominic Mertz, who joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton. Dr. Mertz, good morning. How are you? Good
1: morning, Greg.
0: Well, tell us about this latest wave of COVID-19. Are we seeing that peak approaching?
2: Yeah, I mean, it's difficult to say, right, because um, we cannot rely on the case numbers anymore at all, given the changes in, in the testing criteria. We did expect to see a decline in the number of cases, regardless of whether it's a true decline or not, just given the changes in testing criteria. Um, but there are other factors that, that indicate that we might be plateauing when we're looking at, um, an, in, uh, a, a, I would say, a slowing down in the increase of hospital and ICU admissions at this point. And once we see a decline in hospital and ICU admissions, then we are already well, one no, or probably two weeks post-peak. So we will only know after the fact that we peaked.
0: I uh, I get what you're you're saying there, and that is uh, certainly true. I mean, at one point in the pandemic, and it wasn't too long ago, we would look at case numbers as being that kind of barometer on on peaks and valleys during the pandemic. But that, that with Omicron, that has certainly changed to hospitalization rates as opposed to case numbers, right?
2: Yeah, and as I said, I think there's there's a couple of reasons for that. Right? A is the change in testing of changes in testing criteria, which result in the vast majority of people who are positive no longer qualifying for testing unless you're high risk. And uh, the other piece is just the sheer numbers of positive cases out there. So you're really only able to sort of identify the peak of the iceberg in terms of positives and can only guess how many others are out there who are positive but haven't been tested or wouldn't even have noticed.
0: When uh, Omicron initially arrived late last year, you know, the uh, the best guesses were that this was going to be very much more transmissible than any of the other variants, and we've certainly seen that. Did we, however, underestimate its transmissibility at all? I don't think so.
2: I, I think we, based on the South African data, which was, uh, as you may remember, the the first experience with, with Omicron, um, we did expect that there will be... Uh, A very quick increase in case numbers, probably followed by a a steep decline. Um, We hope that the latter part will be as true as as the former part, and then we should be out of this relatively quickly.
0: Our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900CHML is Dr. Dominic Mertz. He's an epidemiologist and the director of infection control at Hamilton Health Sciences. Um, Certainly, Omicron arrived in Hamilton early on. We saw higher activity rates here than in other places. Uh, Does that have an impact on the cresting wave and how we may see the peak before perhaps many other communities?
2: That may happen. Um, Depending on on when when the wave started, you may see uh that that you peak earlier than other regions that may have had a more quiet end of december but omicron only really um took on like a few weeks later so uh as a province we will certainly not peak at the same time everywhere um so, so that's expected and yes you're right probably in hamilton we were we are one of the earlier public health units, so to say, that that started to see that increase. So there's a good chance that we might be peaking earlier than uh, many other regions with, within Ontario.
0: Big news from Health Canada. It has authorized the use of, viral, uh, of Pfizer's antiviral COVID-19 uh, oral treatment. Uh, your reaction to how this could potentially be a game changer, especially for hospitals?
2: Yeah, I, I mean, the... Um, The key use of this new antiviral will be um, in in patients who are, well, not inpatients, so out in the community doing okay, mild to moderate symptoms do not require hospital admissions and the data suggests that in those individuals we may see a reduction in the risk of hospital admission in the range of 90%. All of this comes with a caveat, uh, which is that the study was done in high-risk individuals who are not vaccinated. So that effect might be smaller, and you also need to consider, even if it it turns out to be 90% in in vaccinated with multiple comorbidities and elderly, your effect in absolute numbers will be smaller so what what they found in the study was a reduction from seven to point eight percent so less than one percent of those highest risk individuals required hospital admissions with treatment so that's that's a huge effect and and great to see uh but the bandwidth in an already vaccinated individual will be lower so you will see less of an effect there eventually but uh, absolutely. It, it's great to have it once we have it. I, I'm not sure we have it to look like in supply, how early we will get it, how it will be distributed across the country and within Ontario, but it's certainly another tool that we will have in, in our toolbox moving forward for those highest risk individuals to prevent them from needing hospital admission so they can more easily recover at home.
0: Last question for you, Dr. Mertz. Do you think the oral medication, now that it's on the way, will stunt the number of people who are going to get vaccinated?
2: I doubt it. Uh, I mean, my, my read of the situation is who hasn't been vaccinated at this point uh, is probably as convinced of not getting vaccinated that uh, something like this will not change that. So I think swaying them to to the vaccine is closer and closer to impossible so I don't think that that will have a negative impact. It will be an option however for us to, to better protect the healthcare system moving forward and it, it's an, uh, an opportunity as I mentioned for those vaccinated but nevertheless high risk individuals uh, to have an all option rather than just the intravenous options that we, we have
0: had to date. Dr. Mertz appreciate the time thank you very much for joining us today. Yeah thanks for having me. That is Dr. Dominic Mertz, Epidemiologist, Director of Infection Control at Hamilton Health Sciences, talking to us about uh, the peak and as, uh, of the latest wave, as well as the uh, antiviral medication that is being offered to us to combat COVID-19 symptoms uh, once uh, you are infected with uh, the virus uh, from Pfizer. And uh, Merck has went out, yet to be approved by Health Canada, but that approval might not be too far down the line.
1: You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast. From 900 CHML.
0: Just over a year ago, York Center MPP Roman Baber was turfed from the PC caucus by Premier Doug Ford for publicly speaking out against the lockdown orders to combat COVID-19. Now, today, he's still championing a private member's bill, the Jobs and Jabs Act, that will protect workers from being fired for not being vaccinated. Roman Baber, independent MPP for York Center, joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton. Roman, good morning. How are you?
3: good to be with you, Rick. How are you?
0: I'm not too bad. Before we get into the the private members bill and what you've been fighting, what's it been like being an independent MPP?
3: Look, um, I really found my voice as an independent. Um, I have the ability to speak freely without any party discipline or or fear of uh, some sort of reprisal. And I think it's important for our democracy, especially at a time where uh, a lot of Ontarians feel that they don't have a voice.
0: Do you still stand by your criticism of the lockdowns?
3: Absolutely, and uh, regretfully, my criticism of the lockdowns has proven to be correct. We now know, uh, a year later, at least according to the Canadian Medical Association, that more than 4,000 uh, Canadians already lost their lives because of delayed surgeries. Ontario cancelled or postponed more than 300,000 surgeries. We know from Public Health Ontario that the increase in overdose year over year from uh, 2020 to 20, to, from 2019 to 2021. Is close to 80%. We had the increase in overdose alone is three times greater than all the deaths from COVID under age 50. That is catastrophic. We know that a million cancer screenings were missed, and they're causing late diagnoses and more severe outcomes. And we know that Ontario is grappling with a mental health catastrophe. So there's no question that COVID is a very serious disease. It can be very serious to select demographics. But generally, locking down 15 million people and making them sick is not good for their health either.
0: Nearly two years in, Roman, how do you think the government has handled the pandemic?
3: Unfortunately, the government refuses to recognize that broad lockdowns uh, don't just fail to accomplish the goal, which is to stop the spread, but that they actually do more harm than good. And, and that's basically my argument, is that we need to factor in the toll, the risk to health and mental health of Ontarians into our pandemic response. Um, unfortunately, two years later, we're effectively back at square one, which is two weeks to flatten the, the curve, uh, has turned into two years to flatten the curve at an enormous cost to uh, our health, our mental health, our children, um, our economy. And um, all in all, we're just, I, I think we've gotten used to uh, this type of lifestyle where government comes back every couple of months and locks us down. This is not normal and it's not needed. What we need to do is we need to focus protection on where the risk is, which is primarily long term care, and build hospital capacity. And that is the one thing that the Ford government had to do, and it failed spectacularly. Building hospital capacity is the best thing we can do to help the current crisis.
0: Our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML, Robin Baber, Independent MPP for York Center. In regards to that hospital capacity, uh, you know, my sense is that uh, you know building that capacity is almost impossible during a pandemic. This should have been done years before the pandemic.
3: Well, of course, we we know that Canada has one of the lowest uh, bed rates in the OECD. Um, however, that's not a, an excuse for the fact that we now have less hospital staff than we did pre-pandemic. Instead of going on a hiring spree, the government implements policies that actually discourage staffing in hospitals. So, for instance, we know that um, many hospitals uh, let go of um hospital workers that made a different medical choice. We know that COVID isolation and control protocols have the effect of keeping healthy workers at home. We also know that the government imposed what is referred to as Bill 124, which caps the rate of increase of pay for nurses at 1%. That means in an inflation year of 5% and a raise of 1%, um, the nurse actually experiences an approximate 4% uh, inflationary uh, cut in wages. So instead of increasing staff, the government is engaging in policy that decreases staff, thereby compounding onto the catastrophe in our hospitals. And then it goes back to us and says, well, we're short on staff. We're challenging capacity. We need to lock you down. It's absurd.
0: We're speaking with Roman Baber, Independent MPP York Center here on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Let's dive into the private members bill that you have on the docket, the Jobs and Jabs Act. Where is it right now and and what would it do if it does become law?
3: So, Rick, um, the Jobs and Jabs Act passed first reading on October the 5th and it's slated for second reading in March. My bill would prevent any Ontario employer from terminating or penalizing an employee because of their vaccination status. And um, I felt that this is um, very important because literally I've heard from thousands of Ontarians who unfortunately were terminated or suspended because they made a different medical choice. I'm myself vaccinated. I'm pro voluntary vaccination, but we have never forced anyone to do anything against their will and forcing someone to choose, between their personal medical choices and ability to put food on the table is just not something that should be done in a democratic society.
0: Robin, really appreciate your time. Thanks for joining us today, and uh, good luck with the private members, Bill. Thank you so much, Rick.
1: You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML.
0: Here in Hamilton, certainly the pandemic has packed a punch uh, in a variety of aspects, including from a budgetary standpoint, at the city of Hamilton, and here to explain what is going on is Mike Segaric. He's the general manager of finance and corporate services with the city of Hamilton, and joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton. Mike, good morning. How are you? Thanks for having me. Hey, thanks for coming on. So maybe in a uh, with a broad brush, <laughs> tell us how the pandemic is impacting uh, this year's budgetary process.
4: Sure. Uh, so we're uh, at the stage where we are providing council with some information as it relates to our 2022 tax budget. Uh, some of that information was shared with council last Friday. What uh, we did share with council last Friday that similar to 2020, 2021, 2022 is still going to have a COVID impact on our finances. In 2021, Rick Hamilton, City of Hamilton, experienced uh, just in excess of $100 million in COVID-related pressures. And thankfully, the federal provincial governments came through and offset those pressures through some grants and funding programs. For 2022, we're forecasting about $92 million in COVID pressures, but I should note that that was before the latest variant. So uh, reasonable to expect that number to go north. Uh, And again, we're hoping that the federal and provincial governments will come through and uh, help offset those pressures.
0: So as of right now, we haven't had an official word from the upper levels of government on whether or not they will take care of that bill?
4: Uh, Rick, we do have some commitments from the federal provincial governments that started in 2020 and carried through in 2021 and and do continue on into the first quarter of 2022. Important to note that while the city budgets for a calendar year, uh, senior levels of government province and federal government's budget to uh, the first quarter and the march so some of those commitments expire the first quarter of 2022 and what we're looking for are extensions to those commitments uh, into our calendar year so for the last three quarters of the year
0: when you speak of those budgetary pressures in relation to COVID 19 where's that money being spent is it just on ppe or is, are there other things that make up that cost
4: So uh, I think your listeners and and our citizens would would understand that the majority of the costs are in public health and that that's principally the vaccination efforts, the clinics, uh, the public health measures. But you're right, Rick, it includes uh, PPE, purchasing of PPE, not only for the city of Hamilton, but the city also provides PPE to some of our local uh, organizations or groups who are having a hard time procuring or accessing PPE. So that's about $40 million in uh, expenditures locally, just as it relates to the public health effort. Uh, and in addition, uh, citizens will see some of the challenges around housing as a result of the pandemic and as it relates to support for housing and shelters. Uh, for 2021, we experienced about $27-28 in COVID pressures as it relates to housing services. And we're expecting to uh, see pressures uh, in that ballpark around 22, 23 million dollars in 2022 around housing and shelters. But it also includes, Rick, you know, city of Hamilton, like other businesses, uh, where we are impacted as well around participation. So around transit, around recreation, around parking services, as people adhere to those public health. Uh, guidelines and uh, through various iterations of lockdown or restrictions, is we saw a drop in utilization participants. And so that affects our treasury, our revenues. And so uh, those pressures were material uh, parking, $6 million, uh, and transit, about $7 million. So those are some examples, but it's broad. It includes the slot revenues that we share at Flamborough Downs. Uh, Long-term care, pressures in long-term care, those are all examples that contribute to the $100 million we're forecasting for 2021.
0: Our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900CHML is Mike Zagarek, General Manager of Finance and Corporate Services with the City of Hamilton. We're chatting about COVID-19's impact on the city's budget. Uh, I know city councillors have aimed for a 2% tax increase. Is that achievable?
4: Uh, So historically we've achieved a two percent or uh, approximately two percent increase uh, each and every year for the last decade. Uh, 2021 our increase was 1.9 percent. The challenge is Rick 2022 is different from 2021 for a number of reasons. Uh, just just bringing people back 2021 we were uh, locked down. That restricted uh, our, our ability to spend. And so what we saw was some deflation. We saw people uh, were not spending their funds. And so as a result, fuel prices were going down. And we saw uh decrease pressure as it relates to costs. 2022 quite, is quite the opposite. We're seeing inflation. Uh, inflation that affects households, but it also affects the city. We're paying more for fuel, we're paying more for contractual services, and then in addition is we have obligations to our employees, and that represents a uh, inflationary adjustment for the city as well. So we sit, currently we're sitting at approximately 3.7%, uh, and council has approved some uh, actions as it relates to the 2022 budget, including a 2% increase in user fees. So, uh, again, Council's still receiving information this week. They'll receive information from boards and agencies like Hamilton Police Services, Conservation Authority, Royal Botanical Gardens, and City Departments, and we'll continue to deliberate and work towards that 2% guideline that Council has set.
0: Mike, we have about 30 seconds. When do you hope to put the budget to bed?
4: We're targeting uh, March 30th, Rick, so we still have some time to uh, present some additional information, work with council towards mitigating some of these pressures, uh, and we're hoping by the end of March so that we can get the property tax bills into mailboxes of local uh, property owners by June.
0: Mike, best of luck whittling down that uh, percentage increase down to two and or close to that, and uh, thanks for joining us this morning. Thanks, Rick. That's Mike Zagarek. He's the General Manager of Finance and Corporate Services with the City of Hamilton as uh, councillors and city staff uh, try to, um, well, uh, alleviate some of the cost pressures that they're seeing uh, due to the pandemic and, as I said, whittle down that – Percentage of the tax increase we'll see for 2022.
1: You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. A
0: new segment focusing on business is now being featured daily on Good Morning Hamilton called The Peak Daily. You can hear it at 727 in the morning. You'll also hear it again at 427 in the afternoon. And you can also listen to the extended version in podcast form at CuriousCast.com ca one of the co-hosts is jay rosenthal and he joins us now jay good morning and welcome to good morning hamilton thank you good to be here uh, tell us about the peak daily what's it all about <laughs> i'm glad you asked well
5: i'm just a little thrown because my kid school just got canceled so i'm trying to figure out how we're going to spend today but <laughs> the peak daily we like to say it's canadian and global business finance and tech all in less than seven minutes but it's really the most important most relevant business news for canadians but done in a less business pages type of way and it's a lot more fun so we make it relevant we make it fun we make it snappy we make it quick
0: yeah so you make maybe you know the, the more complex business stories more relatable to the common person
5: i think so because i think that's what people want from the business news i think business news is important but also making it relevant is probably more important so that's what we try to do every day and as you said we'll be doing it in a minute on uh you know on the on the show and then we'll be uh, also on curious Cast with a longer version it's just generally around seven minutes, so it's a pretty good listen.
0: Mm -hmm. How long have you been doing this, and what made you jump into this world? Uh,
5: Well, uh, so Brett Chang and I, we are uh, the the co-hosts of this. It is a uh, companion piece to uh, The Peak. It's a newsletter uh, that goes out to about 45,000, 50,000 Canadians every day. This is the companion podcast. What we've seen is that people are interested in the business news, but they're not interested necessarily reading the full business page, and it's written generally in a fairly dry format we wanted to spice it up That's probably too strong, uh, but we really wanted to make it relevant. And really the relevant part is what pe- keeps people engaged, and people want to listen across platforms or read across platforms. And a podcast is something that fits into people's daily lives, even when they are commuting, although it doesn't seem like they'll be commuting today so much. But um, we think we're fitting into people's daily lives in their email, in their newsletters format, but also in the podcast.
0: Uh, There's also, uh, you know, a lot of fun happening in this podcast. I understand there's (laughs) some dad jokes that are being told.
5: Well, uh, Brett is a bit younger than me. I say a bit, it's like 15 years. And so I'm the dad with the dad jokes. (laughs) Um, But also, Brett, this is funny. Yesterday we were recording today's podcast. He said, yeah, I think about 10 to 15 centimeters fell because he lives in a condo in downtown, had not been outside, whereas I had been shoveling it, unlike you. I don't have a snowblower. So I've been out three or four times with a shovel, not a snowblower. So um, he he was a little bit out of touch with what was happening on the ground. Not so much with business news, but definitely with snowfall.
0: <laughs> How are you feeling today?
5: Uh, my back is killing me. <laughs> uh, I'm kind of glad I don't have to get my car out of the laneway, which never gets plowed in Toronto. Uh, so um, I, I have mixed emotions. I'm happy I don't have to go outside, but sad that I probably have to shovel some more. And I have, I think we're going on day 600 with the kids at home. So... Yeah. It's, a, it's a stretch, yeah.
0: Well, even with a snowblower, I still feel your pain. I'm, uh, I, I, <laughs> I woke up today with a sore back and ribs and the whole bit. Uh, Jay Rosenthal is our guest. He's the co-host of The Peak Daily. You can check it out, curiouscast.ca, in full podcast form. And the feature itself runs uh, at 727 and 427 here on 900 CHML. Let's get to some of the biggest business-type issues in the land, number one maybe being the supply chain issues. If you looked into your crystal ball this morning, What's your gut telling you about when we can finally see some movement on the supply chain? Well,
5: on the very micro level, the supply chain is going to be halted today in the GTA <laughs> based on the weather. But on the macro level, it, it's going to be some time. I mean, there's a lot of pent up demand. That's sort of one thing from the pandemic that, you know, caused supply chain crunches. Um this week, there's a lot of conversation about uh, China and their zero COVID policy, and many, many factories in some of the highest producing manufacturing areas in China have either shut down or on real slow go. So, so we'll start to see a real uh, crunch on that again. So that's sort of been ebbs and flows, and it's it's really playing itself out in interesting ways, right? Uh, cars. I don't know if you've had to wanted to buy a car or if you've been called by your dealership to trade your car in, but little teeny microchips, the supply chains on those have caused ripple effects across. Uh, across the world economy, you know, because your dashboard won't work without chips. So, you know, the supply chain is going to take some time to even out. um, And that's going to be probably this year is my guess. Um, But hopefully beyond that, things will even out between supply, demand, manufacturing, production, uh, and getting things from where they're produced to where they want to be purchased. So there's a bit of that um, that will really shake itself out throughout this year, which we do watch a lot and also identify different, parts of the economy that it's affecting you know from cars to ps4s and ps 5s
0: another big issue and it's not going away anytime soon and and who knows may never go away and that it's housing affordability in this country we know inflation is where it's at we know mortgage rates are going to be going up because the bank of canada is going to be uh, you know hiking its uh, key interest rate Um, in terms of housing affordability what do we see happening this year any movement in that regard
5: Well, I think if we had this question any time over the past 15 years, we might say, is anything happening in this regard? And we would be wrong 15 (laughs) years straight. Um, But, you know, I I think we did a story last week that housing prices both in Vancouver and Toronto have gone up like 20% in the past year alone. It is a real challenge. And, you know, this is (laughs) economics 101. There is a huge demand and not enough supply. And this is actually a lot of what we talk about certainly as it relates to housing and certainly our audience that we, that our newsletter goes to, a lot of professionals, a lot of young professionals thinking about where and how they're going to live the rest of their lives. Um, and this is a real challenge for the Canadian economy overall, that housing is really unaffordable for many or most. And, and that has ripple effects across lots of areas, um, from where people live, how people live, where companies are going and how they're going to survive, um, because people can't afford to live Uh, certainly in urban cores. And that's uh, that's a real challenge for the country.
0: No doubt about it. Jay, really appreciate the time. Congrats on the Peak Daily podcast and all the success that you've already achieved and uh, obviously more to come. Great. Well, good luck moving the snow today. (laughs) You as well. Jay Rosenthal, co-host of The Pink Daily. You can see the podcast. Subscribe to the podcast at CuriousCast.ca.
1: You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML.
0: The Ontario government plans to open the online gaming market in this province, but is it worth the gamble? Paul Burns is the president and CEO of Canadian Gaming Association and joins us now on GMH. Paul, good morning. How are you? I'm great. Thanks for having me. There's a report that suggests the province could lose out on about half a billion dollars a year in revenue after it opens online gambling, because the thought is so many people are going to shift from going to physical casinos to Internet gaming and may not spend as much money. What do you think about this?
6: Well, it's, it, it's a debate that's happened in many places around the world where governments have moved to regulate online gaming, Um and there's really, it's, it's, it's a, an analysis done by a company as, as they see the online gaming market unfold in Ontario. But just a couple things up front, that today Ontarians have unlimited access to online gaming today. It's just not regulated. There's no revenue coming to government at all. And Canadian gaming art, and the Ontario-based gaming operators can't offer the product. And this is something that you know we've as an industry have been asking governments across the country to move to regulate market. This gray market, as it's called, because the law is unsure about where the bet occurs and is it illegal or not. And no one's ever bothered to test it. So getting that in, getting regulation oversight actually starts to flow benefits back, lets the casino operators compete. So that's the first principle. The issue around how should the market evolve 's been what probably what is the discussion around this document. but first and foremost, everybody agrees we need regulated online gaming because there's no benefits flowing to Ontario today, zero. And that's where with their customers shift. but on one side, people will say, as the report does, there will be impacts. On others, they say, well, everybody's had access to any kind of online gaming they've wanted forever, unregulated. So what's going to change? Yeah, and
0: you can can make the case that the government is losing out on uh, potentially millions of dollars on revenue because it is unregulated and they can't tap into that market.
6: That's right. And and casino operators here in Ontario can't compete and offer that. Um, You know, we made a a large push earlier last year to get the laws changed to permit single-event sports betting. Sports betting represents about 40% of the online market. No one in Canada could even offer it legally but companies from offshore were offering all the time and everybody had complete access. And then because those gray market operators, you see advertising on TV. That's a pretty unique phenomenon. In other parts of the world, there was more enforcement before the markets were open. There wasn't as much offering gaming. So when you look at what's happened in other jurisdictions, uh, it's hard to compare. But Ontario with a very robust online market already uh, and a government just trying to bring it under regulation and capture some revenue for themselves so it's the how this market should open is really what's up for debate right now and it's been a healthy one believe me as a association that represents people on both sides of this issue (laughs) i can tell you um but and that's where this is a company bringing forward their opinion on what they think is going to happen and what they need to see change and so there's others that will actually say the opposite so it's, uh, it's been a healthy debate for sure.
0: We have another minute with Paul Burns. He's the president and CEO of Canadian Gaming Association. We know Ontario grabs, uh, I think it's 55% of net gambling proceeds from casinos. Any sense in what the percentage could be for online gaming?
6: Um, there is a sense it'll be less than that, based on what the government has indicated. They haven't finalized anything at this point. Um, the expectation is the market will open in the next few months. Uh, they've passed legislation. They've created an agency to oversee it. They have been in engaging with industry for almost two years now, and trying to figure out how it, how it uh, how it should unfold. The question is, is, you know, whether they're trying to get all of these companies who to come and enter the regulator marketplace, and that's what they've tried to design this market to do because it's, it's unique. You're not opening up for the first time. It's not brand new. It's how do I get companies that generally are licensed and regulated in other parts of the world uh, to join our regulated marketplace? And that's really a government's objective through this and making sure that everybody can compete on as level a playing field as possible.
0: It's going to be fascinating to watch from here on in. Paul, thank you very much for the time today. Appreciate it. Paul Burns, President and CEO of the Canadian Gaming Association, reflecting on a report that's out there that suggests that the province could lose out on $550 million in annual revenue after it opens up online gambling uh, because right now it is still unregulated in this province, at least a lot of the online gambling sites that you see and uh, what the percentage of that take is going to be from the provincial government remains to be seen as well. But when that story breaks, we will certainly break it to you here on Good Morning Hamilton.
1: You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Uh,
0: Well, we've heard of supply chain issues you know shortages of certain things at the grocery store and the like there's been another product that has been impacted by the pandemic and has recorded well record low sales over the last year and a bit nearly two years and that is condoms what gives jess o'reilly is a sexologist and relationship expert and joins us now on good morning hamilton dr jess how are you today I'm fabulous. Good morning. Thanks for having me. Your reaction to the the plummeting condom sales, what is happening?
7: Uh, Well, I think there are a number of reasons this could be occurring. I mean, a big one across the globe is the fact that large-scale government programs that distribute condoms were hit by the pandemic. So some of them shut down, they they changed the way they distributed, so they may be purchasing or receiving fewer, which means distributing fewer to clients, to You know, citizens. I think the other big piece is that more folks were partnered up with in house partners (laughs) rather than going out. And so, folks who we would call, you know, for example, fluid bonded, folks who are tested regularly together or they're fully monogamous um, may have opted not to use condoms. And then we have, you know, other smaller things like hotels and motels were either shut down for a while or operating at more limited capacity. And, uh, you know, these locations had provided an opportunity for people to seek privacy, and travel has slowed. So we have, you know, evidence showing that people are more likely to hook up and hopefully be practicing safer sex and using condoms when they're traveling. And I think this probably has to do with both leisure and business travel.
0: Yeah, that's uh, certainly all true. I mean, you know, the, the restrictions have really impacted our ability to get together, whether it's at a bar or nightclub or, or at someone's party at a house. And, you know, more often than not, you know, people would get together and condoms would be used.
7: Exactly. So many single folks I know also decided to stop dating or take a break from dating. So I think we'll probably see a bit of a rebound now as, you know, I know that we're not so open right here, but much of the world is uh, more open than before. So I don't think condom manufacturers have anything to worry about. Although we do know that they're also, they also manufacture latex gloves. So they've had some, uh, offsets from the from the business side. <laughs>
0: okay. Um, so should we surmise that there has been a drop in sexual activity as well worldwide? And could that potentially lead to a an extremely low birth rate in nine months from now?
7: Well, most incidents of, uh, you know, sex don't necessarily lead to to childbirth. So I don't know that it's going to necessarily lead to a lower incidence of childbirth, but we do have some analyses from data across multiple countries. Like I looked at one meta-analysis of data from seven countries and they did show an overall decrease in sexual activity. People are obviously reporting a decrease in interest in sex because their mood is so affected, right? More of us are feeling down and depressed and tired and exhausted and all of those things. And uh, for some people, sex is a source of stress relief. But for some people, sex is a source of stress. So they're just opting to abstain. And all of that is OK. There's no number of times you must be engaging in sexual activity.
0: Our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML, Dr. Jess O'Reilly, sexologist and relationship expert. You can find her online at sexwithdrjess.com. And we're talking about record low sales over the last little while, at least during the pandemic, of condoms. Um, we're in the pandemic still. We're in the winter months now. We're obviously not getting out and about more because of restrictions as well. How do we keep the fire burning, so to speak, during the winter and during the pandemic?
7: Yeah, you know, I've been answering that question for two years and I thought it was going to be all over. But here we are <laughs> again, twenty-two months later. Um, Number one, I think we need to focus on connection. So don't worry necessarily about fire and passion to begin with. Focus on feeling as though your relationships are in a space that makes you feel good. So maybe that's about physical affection. Maybe that's about emotional connection. Maybe that's about meaningful conversations. I would say invest in those areas first. And then when you feel you've built that foundation where you're feeling like you're in a good place, If you want to keep the spark alive, you need to create distance, mystery, and curiosity. And that is near impossible to do when you're in one another's spaces 24-7. So look for opportunities to spend time apart, even if it means Rather than taking like your nightly walk together, do it separately. Uh, work in different spaces. Don't check in with each other on every little item. Kind of act like you are at work, even when you're working from home. And then number three, you've got to try something new, right? So novelty, of course, is the spice of life. So whether it's a new uh, place or like a new exploration or a new accoutrement or something like that, novelty obviously is going to inject a sense of risk and risk is what, uh, you know, helps to heighten passion.
0: We only have about 30 seconds, but you mentioned stress, uh, stress, anxiety during the pandemic. Is there one tip or one uh, bit of advice you can offer to our listeners to cut through that stress?
7: You know, in terms of relationships, start your day with 60 seconds of connection. Put your head on your partner's chest and just listen to their heartbeat. It can be very grounding and gratitude inducing every morning.
0: That is great. Dr. Jess, thanks for the time today. Enjoy your day.
7: A pleasure. Happy
0: Snow Day. Uh, Same to you. That is Dr. Jess O'Reilly, sexologist and relationship expert. Find her online, Sex with Dr. Jess